Today's podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you, so you can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and many more, and you can make money from your podcasts. It's everything you need to do to make a podcast in one place. So if you're interested, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Whenever I speak, at some point I ask, how many of you here would like to learn to lead with questions in 30 seconds? Well, every hand in the room goes up. And I point to one person and, and bring them up. And as they're coming up, I, I share that uh, a lot of times I just sense from the audience that they would love to learn to lead with questions, but they imagine that it's like they'd have to go get a master's degree in questionology. Right. And, and it's, you know, almost like it wouldn't it be great to be a brain surgeon and make that kind of money? Well, it'd be great, but it's not likely to happen. Because, you know, they imagine it'll take such an incredible effort. And so that's why every hand goes up when I say, would you like to learn to lead with questions in 30 seconds? Hey, everybody. Welcome to Inspiring Growth. I'm your chief encourager, Mark P. Fisher. And Inspiring Growth inspires growth with leaders and their organizations. And I am here with Bob TD, who is a curiosity hero of mine. Hi, Bob. Welcome to Inspiring Growth. Mark, hi. I've been looking forward to this. Here's why Bob is one of my leadership and curiosity heroes. I've often said that curiosity may have killed the cat, but it fuels the king of the jungle, the lion. And Bob has fueled so much curiosity in me. Bob invited me to be a guest blogger on his blog, leadingwithquestions.com. So thank you for that honor. Here's the thing. Bob helps leaders shift from that immense pressure of having all the right answers to simply having a few of the right answers and tons of great questions, questions I found in my leadership journey that have led to growth. So, Bob, I know you're an author of Great Leaders Ask Questions and the second book, 339 Questions Jesus Asked, and your most recent book, which Inspiring Growth Leaders, you can get for free later in the podcast. It's called, Now That's a Great Question. So thank you for offering that to all my leaders, Bob. My pleasure, Mark. Before you started actually writing about great questions, you ran into a book that changed you. Can, can you tell us about that book and how it changed you? Well, absolutely. I want to back up just a, a little bit before that to give listeners an opportunity to know that I'm probably a lot like many of them. In my new book, Now That's a Great Question, the first chapter is a confession. And Mark, I always like my, my uh, you know, when I speak or, or my, you know, I guess listeners or, or readers to understand that leading with questions does not actually come naturally to me. I've spent most of my career, as I look back, as a benevolent dictator, because the only paradigm of leadership I had, Mark, was that a leader needs to tell. Of course, a leader needs to use please and thank you, and a leader needs to appreciate good work by his or her staff, but I always thought the job of a leader was to direct. And then in 2006, I came across that book that you referenced. The name of the book is actually now the name of my blog, but it was the book was Leading with Questions by Dr. Michael Morquart. 
My wife loves to go to bookstores. She goes all over the bookstore. When she's done, she knows she will find me in the leadership section. And I usually pull off, you know, three, four books, peruse them. Sometimes they all go back on the shelf. Occasionally one comes home. Well, that day when I found Leading with Questions, I only perused a few pages and said, this one's going home. Mm. And it was a page turner for me because it was my first exposure to a whole nother paradigm of leadership. And that is that leaders really did not need to have all the answers. I mean, what a heavy burden to think as a leader oh, yeah. to have all the answers. Absolutely. And a shift to leaders just need to have some of the questions. And the other thing I loved about the book, I'm sure it's one of the reasons that I love going with this new paradigm, is that so much of it was so simple. Dr. Michael Marquardt shared the story of the Navy captain, Michael D. Abershoff, who took over the command of the USS Benfold, one of our most modern warships. And when he took over, morale on that ship was the lowest in the Navy. 18 months later, he moved it to the highest in the Navy. Well, the first thing he did, and I so love this, was he had, and I'm sure it probably took almost a month, but he had 300 15-minute sessions with 300 sailors on his ship. That's unbelievable. And in that session, Mark, he asked them three questions. What do you like best about this ship? What do you like least? What would you change if you could? And I imagine at the end of the first day, maybe he'd only met with 10 sailors, but a buzz began on that ship. The new captain's different. He's actually asking us questions. He actually wants to know what we think. Mm. And, and soon they begin to see changes made. Now, he didn't promise that he'd change everything that every sailor asked. But certainly he began to hear themes and made observations that said, what? We're not doing that? Uh, or why not? Yeah, let's do it. And so they not only felt listened to, they begin to realize the new captain was actually taking in their suggestions and acting upon it. Yeah, and, I love that story. Yeah, and Mark, it was like, wait a minute, I can ask those three questions. What do you like best about this ship? Or in your organization, you can say, hey, what do you like best about our company? What do you like least? What would you change if you could? You know, it's like, wow, you have them memorized by the time you hear them one time. Yeah. They work. It totally reminds me of, oh, I don't know, 12 or 13 years ago when I was invited to take over a really established nonprofit called Sandy Cove. And Sandy Cove existed to help people connect with God and each other in this Christian retreat and, and family camp environment on the headwaters of the Chesapeake Bay. And when I got there, I asked my friend, who is also the grandson of the founder of the organization, Paul Palmer, I said, let's, let's talk to everyone on the team. And, and I think, you know, those questions that the captain asked were integrated into, I, I don't know if I had heard it then or wh what it was, because this was back in 2006, but we asked folks those similar questions. And I did, I, I, I discovered things about our team and what, what they were passionate about, what they hoped we wouldn't change and what, why they joined the organization. And that really helped me, it took about eight months, but it, it, it really helped me shape the vision for the future. It all started with questions. Well, Mark, I'm guessing it did something else too. Besides all those good things, 
One of my friends, Andrew Sobel, says that telling creates resistance. Hmm. Asking creates relationships. The first impression you were making with people you were working with, the staff, was that Mark is asking questions. Mark thinks what we have to say is, you know, relevant, important, helpful. And uh, they felt uh, appreciated and valued. And so not only did you get good input, the act of asking the questions built relationships with the staff. Well, now, it did and it didn't. Okay. Because what I also found is that there was some fear. Fear was created in in the environment because, like, hell, what's Mark going to do? Or how's he going to change things? And and it's interesting because in her research, Diane, Dr. Diane Hamilton found that there were four things that inhibit curiosity. So from the asker's perspective, not the answer's perspective, but she said those things are fear, they're fear, assumptions, technology, and the environment. So for me, I know I have to work through some of those things. Like maybe I, I got to work through my own assumptions that maybe I know the answer. Or then I'm afraid if I say something or ask a question, it's a stupid question. It makes me look like an idiot. Hmm. But how do you get people less fearful so that they will ask more questions? Well, Mark, that is a, a fantastic question. And, you know, relationships take some time. I'm thinking of another story that kind of illustrates this. Several years ago, we took a group of our emerging leaders through the uh, backstage leadership tour at Walt Disney World. Mm. And the first stop was the uh, laundry services. Now, now, just to tell you the truth, you know, later that day, we were going to the Utilidor which is the underground at the Magic Kingdom. And, uh, and we were going at, at uh, Epcot to where all the uh, cast members check in and change into their costumes and, mm-hmm. and go out. And truthfully, when I saw the first stop was the laundry facility, I was yawning and thinking, well, I hope this one's fast or we can get on to what's going to be exciting. Well, it turned out that the laundry stop was the best stop of the day in terms of leadership lesson. They shared that turnover at Walt Disney Laundry Services, maybe it was called Textile Services, was 85% a year. They were actually thinking of outsourcing it because this isn't working. Hmm. Well, new leadership came in and they began to ask questions. But Mark, to your question, of how do you overcome fear, they found that there was so much fear, like what is management really up to? Thinking this is even a trick. If we actually told them what's wrong here, we might get fired. And they said it took six to nine months to actually build relationship to assure the cast members that everyone that works at Walt Disney World is not called an employee. They're called a cast member no matter where they work. It took six to nine months to build the relationship so the cast members begin to feel comfortable actually answering some really simple questions. And And the two questions they asked primarily is, what could we do to make your job easier? And the second question, what ideas do you have that would allow all of us to serve our guests better? 
Walt Disney World doesn't have customers, they have guests. If you go there, you're a guest. Well, the answers they got were, were actually so simple. They asked, first of all, it's really warm in Orlando and in the laundry service is very, very warm. And they asked if an air conditioner vent could be adjusted or placed over each workstation. So each person there would have cold air hitting their face. The second thing they asked is if the tables where they're folding stuff and working could be uh, adjustable because, you know, some people are tall and some people are short and, and only a few people had it the way it was at just the right height. Well, management hearing those was like, well, sure, we can do that. Mm. Uh, that's easy. And in other words, they didn't ask for anything ridiculous. They asked for things that were like, well, of course, why aren't we doing those already? Mm. And make a long story short, today, turnover at Walt Disney World Textile Services is less than 5% a year. People come, start working there, and stay until they retire. All because management started asking, what could we do to make your job easier? But it took time. It's crazy how simple that question is, but the growth that it led to the organization from an 85% turnover to a 5% turnover, the simple profit margin in that equation leads to growth. But do you find that it requires some level of humility to jump in there and ask those kinds of questions rather than I know all the answers and I will tell you how it will be? Mark, yes. I, I, I look at that and, and realize it does require some humility. But when leaders make this paradigm shift, you know, it is an incredible burden to think you need to have all the answers. Oh, yeah. It, it yeah. landed me in the hospital five times during my presidential uh, 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 stint for eight years. I know. I, I just kept feeling like I had to know all the answers. And Mark, what does a, a leader who feels they need to have all the answers do when they're asked a question and they don't know the answer? Well, let's see. I know what this leader sometimes has done. <laughs> uh, uh, sidestepped, made up an answer, or something in between. Well, exactly. I, I was thinking, uh, you know, you're more clever there. You had options. I was thinking I made up the answer on the spot. Mm -hmm. And probably the staff knew he doesn't know, but he just made up an answer. Again, it's a matter of a paradigm shift. But as a leader, I think we all intuitively know that if we can deepen our relationships with our staff where, where they do feel appreciated and trusted, that good things will happen. And sometimes, though, our emotional intelligence is low. We don't know how to do that. Mm. I love quotes. And right now I'm thinking of another quote. This one comes from Henry David Thoreau. He said, the greatest compliment ever paid me was when one asked me what I thought and attended to my answer. Mm. And, and Mark, uh, I'll ask it this way. Whenever you've had a, uh, a supervisor, a boss, say to you, Mark, what do you think we might do about, you know, some challenge, opportunity, some issue? How did it make you feel that they had asked you? Well, 
your question evokes a story that I remember. Please. I was I was the vice president of sales and marketing at an organization. I was in a board meeting with, I think, 11 or 12 really smart people, people who loved the organization, were guiding it, leading it. And there was uh, this moment where a multimillionaire entrepreneur started a business with his wife in the 40s. He's sitting in the room. And there was all this discussion about what kind of marketing strategies and sales and all the board members were chiming in on what they thought. And it came around to this gentleman. I think he shocked the room. I know he shocked me because he looked around the room and said, well, I don't really live this challenge day to day. I know Mark does. I'd really be interested in what he thinks. Mm. And even remembering that moment 20 some years ago, I get choked up thinking how it shaped me, mm. how, it, how, it, how it modeled for me a way to make someone feel valued and appreciated and elevated in the eyes of others. It was, it was a powerful moment. I actually was invited to be a part of uh, performing his funeral years later mm. uh, because uh, the friendship that, that began as a result of those, those moments. So, yeah, I would, say, I would say those when someone has asked my opinion in those times when I'm in my late 20s, early 30s, I mean – I'm stupid even. I'm, I was too stupid to even know I didn't know. <laughs> but what, what a fantastic story. And, and when a leader sees, wow, by asking my staff for input, it's a way to communicate that I value them. Yeah. And, and then, Mark, there, there's another incredible benefit. Uh, if you think back to that time, I don't know how you answered, but most likely you answered with what you thought would be some good ideas. Oh, yeah. I just blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, nevertheless, if he or the team responded with, Mark, wow, go for it. In other words, you got permission to implement your ideas. Actually, I think I did. Yeah. So, so Mark, when when you or anyone shares their thoughts, and their supervisor, their boss embraces it, says, go for it. What is the likelihood you're going to succeed at implementing in comparison to the boss saying, no, Mark, that's not what we want to do. Here's what you need to go do. And they tell you what to do. Again, in my experience, uh, if, if, it's, if it's something I've been empowered to do that comes out of uh, my experience or, or thoughts, I'm passionate. I'm, I'm, I'm a bulldog. Because it was your idea, and now you get permission to do it. You own it. You I work totally hard to make it happen. Yeah. Fully. Whereas when a boss gives you an idea, and let's say even as you hear it, you're thinking, that's not yeah. going to work. Right. You know, what is your effort to actually making it work? It, it may only be a 50% effort thinking all along this isn't going to work. But when it's right. your idea, even if it's not a great idea, you could say you work overtime yeah. to, uh, to make it happen because you own the idea. So true. I mean, I, I have failed miserably when I've led people and tried to micromanage with do this, do that, do this, do that. 
So glad you're enjoying Bob Tede's interview. Hey, listen, my team would like to ask you a favor. Would you be willing to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're getting your podcast? Also, write a review and maybe share it with some friends. That would go a long way to help the Inspiring Growth podcast and all these stories get out into the world. Thanks. Now, let's jump back into our conversation with Bob Tede. You say, Bob, that you can teach a leader how to become a great leader through questions in 30 seconds. So for my Inspiring Growth listeners, will you teach us all those lessons, those, those questions? Oh, my, my pleasure. Mark, when, whenever I speak, and it's in, it's in the books too, but whenever I speak, at some point I ask, how many of you here would like to learn to lead with questions in 30 seconds? Well, every hand in the room goes up. And I point to one person and, and bring them up. And as they're coming up, I, I share that uh, a lot of times I just sense from the audience that they would love to learn to lead with questions, but they imagine that it's like they'd have to go get a master's degree in questionology. Right. And, and it's, you know, almost like, it, wouldn't it be great to be a brain surgeon and make that kind of money? Well, it'd be great, but it's not likely to happen. Because, you know, they imagine it'll take such an incredible effort. And so that's why every hand goes up when I say, would you like to learn to lead with questions in 30 seconds? So, Mark, today you'll be that person that I invited up on the stage. And when they come up on the stage, I say, Mark, the reason I picked you is, is I sense that you have a photographic memory. You know, they look a little bewildered. And I say, uh, the reason I say that is I truly believe you're only going to need to hear my four favorite questions one time and you'll have them memorized. So, Mark, are you ready for this? I'm ready. Well, here's my first favorite question. What do you think? Okay, I got it. What do you think? What else? The third Mm. one is what else? The fourth Mm. one is what else? Mm. So, Mark, do you have my four favorite questions memorized? What do you think? What else? What else? And what else? Why three times? Why Why do you have to no. say what else three times? Well, well, Mark, before I answer that, congratulations. <laughs> you have a memorized. You do have that photographic mind. Well, you know, it, and it's truthful. I, you have taught me that question. I use that in meetings all the time now. And I've seen that I that that whole board checking your phone attitude change dramatically to this engaged, involved, participating environment of meeting. People ask me, how did the meeting go? I I always judge it by the engagement, not by what I, not the content I dumped. Yeah. Well, well, Mark, you, when people hear that, you know, these four questions, it seems like, well, Bob, you can't really ask what else, what else, what else. Right. But I say now, those are the four questions, but imagine a conversation. And so you're you're asking either the team or staff member one-on-one, hey, what do you think, you know, we might do about X? Yeah. And they begin to answer. Now, Mark, all of us, and, and we do this instinctively. We, we're protective of ourselves. Somebody asks us a question and we give an answer. While we're giving that answer, we're reading their face. Mm-hmm. Are they pleased? Are they happy? Are they confused? Are they like, uh, you know, shaking their head? No. And l- let's say they respond to what we're sharing with saying, well, Mark, that's stupid. Everyone knows that. Well, we're not going to say another word. Mm-hmm. 
But when they say, wow, Mark, this is good. Well, what else? And now you give a little bit more. And you can use some other forms of this what else question. Mark, wow, this is good. Say more about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell and me more. As you are asking the what else, the second, the third time, they're now feeling really safe and comfortable. They're feeling like, wow, Mark thinks I've got a lot to offer here. And so it's really when you're asking the third and fourth question that you get to their gold nugget, because Mm -hmm. now they're relaxed, they feel appreciated, and they are sharing with you their Mm -hmm. very best thought. So they're just basically human nature is like watching your reaction. Exactly. And then if the reaction is encouraging, not judgmental, maybe even empathetic, then there's this, it's like you open this, the wardrobe. (laughs) It's fascinating to watch. I I guess that's true. People are just hesitant to see general interest. That's so good. So good. All right, Bob, how in the world do you know what questions to ask beyond those four when you're engaged with people to help them really unlock their leadership abilities? What, what, are, what are the things, like, do you have just a bunch of other questions memorized or is it a matter of being fully present so you know what questions to ask? To talk about your secrets. Hmm. Well, that's, that's a fabulous, that's a fabulous question. I guess on one hand, Mark, you know, yes, there, there's a whole bunch of questions probably in my head, but if we went back to, but Bob, which ones do you actually consistently use? Mm-hmm. You know, let me back up and approach this another way. As I head into a particular meeting, okay. I will take time prior to that meeting to think, okay, wh- what are the topics today? Mm-hmm. And what questions might I want to ask? And wow. so it's a little discipline, a little, little prep. Sometimes spontaneously, I don't, you know, just instantly have all of them in hand. Oh, yeah. I mean, who does? Yeah. So I'll think through ahead of time. But one of the, you know, you said secrets. I guess one of the techniques, and may, maybe it's another part of the what else. It's it's asking what I call the second question. Okay. And that is Mark starts talking about anything. Sure. It might not he might Mark might even be making a statement. You know, for example, maybe Mark says in a conversation, Bob, I just read a great book. And he tells me about the book. Mm-hmm. And I said, Well, Mark, what did you take away from the book that you're implementing? That's a form of the second question. Oh, yeah, that's good. And Mark tells me more. Yeah. Well, Bob, you know, this book, it was really all about execution. And uh, what I'm implementing is, you know, this and this and this. Hey, I really hope you're enjoying part one of my two-part conversation with Bob TD. Doesn't he tell great stories? Ugh. Hey, how would you like a free copy of Bob's new book? Now that's a great question. You know, leading with question isn't just about asking. It's about asking the questions that bring about deeper learning and understanding. Now that's a great question. The book Bob just published 
offers you questions for a variety of leadership and life scenarios from some of the great leaders of our time. I refer to this book all the time. Well, if you'd like to get your free copy, head over to inspiringgrowth.biz, click on free books. That's inspiringgrowth.biz. Now let's jump back into the interview with Bob Tidi. Bob, this this is the thing about you that fascinates me and, and I I would I hope can rub off on me. It's this idea of not only prepping, like who's my audience, what am I doing? Obviously, that's an important part of leading, but it's the idea that you weren't shaping your next statement or answer. You weren't working through, oh, well, I'm gonna tell about my book. You were present with their statement about a book and that to me is the magic of curiosity you're you're present it is and you know you kind of mentioned another thing when i'm when i'm talking about listening tips one thing that again a lot of times we do instinctively because we, we've never thought about it is we hijack conversations oh I say, Mark, where so did you go on vacation with the family? And you say, oh, we went to Walt Disney World. And I said, Walt Disney World? We love going to Walt Disney World. And I take over the conversation. I tell you all about our trips. Yep, yep. And yep. I just hijack the conversation. Guilty. And, uh, or you say, you know, we just got back from Paris. Oh, I love Paris. Let me tell you what we did there. And yeah. again, it's one of those things. I had done that so many times, unaware mm-hmm. And then I came across, I'm not even sure where, but they talked about, as a listener, don't hijack the conversation. Well, I so saw myself in that. But now, when Mark tells me where he's been on vacation, I'm aware of instinctively, I want to tell Mark about my vacation, but that's not what a great listener or leader does. Instead, it's like, wow, Mark, uh, tell me more. How'd you decide to go there? What were the highlights of that trip? I mean, maybe you share that you were in Paris and you visited Notre Dame just a few days before the fire. Mm. Wow, Mark, I mean, how did you feel when you heard about the fire? That is the kind of other-centered questioning that breathes life into relationships. You have quoted by the co-author of Power Questions, Andrew Sobel, And I remember reading that book because you gave it to me years ago. And telling creates resistance. Asking creates relationships. Relationships is what gives us life. It's what the Harvard study over almost 60 years showed that the healthy men and women of the world are in relationships. That leads me to this scary and fascinating question that you ask that creates, I think, really powerful connections with other people. Please tell us what that question is, who you asked that question of, and generally in what situation, that powerful connecting question. My friend Cheryl Batchelder, who was the CEO of Popeye's Chicken, is now the interim CEO of Pier One, wrote an incredible book called Dare to Serve in which she shares how she used servant leadership to turn Popeye's around. Popeye shares were $10, and when she uh, stepped away, they were more like $60 a share. I once said, Cheryl, why didn't you tell me? She said, Bob, that's illegal. I said, oh, 
now you know. <laughs> For your sake and mine. But in her book, she asked, how well do you know the people that work for you? Do you know the three or four events that have most shaped their lives? And Mark, when I heard that question, it was like, wow, Mark, in fact, anytime I hear a great question, I not only write it down, I can hardly wait to find somebody to ask it of. Mm. And so uh, the very next day, I was having a coaching appointment. I'm privileged to coach in our organization, one of my associates, who is the Associate Leadership Development Director for all of Canada. And I've known Neil since 2007. I wanted to ask him the question, but I kind of thought, I really know Neil's story. I, I probably won't be surprised by his answers. I could kind of guess, but still I wanted to ask. Okay. I actually wanted to also pass on this question so that he would have it in his tool bag. And so I said, Neil, can I ask you a new question? Of course, Bob. Neil, what would you say are the three or four events that have most shaped your life? And Neil responded with saying, well, Bob, have I ever shared with you that my birth father died when I was nine months old? My mother later remarried, and, and I actually have no memory of my birth father. The man who actually holds the place of dad in my heart is my stepdad. But he said, Bob, I've been told throughout my life, and again, recently is a month or two ago, that in the final days of my birth father's life, he knew he was dying. He was at home in a big bed, and every day he asked to hold me for long periods of time. And as he held me, he continually prayed over me that God would be a father to this little boy mm. that he knew he himself would not raise. And Mark, as Neil shared that, Neil began to have tears. We're, we're on Skype seeing each other, and I began to have tears. And I thought, wow. And, and just asking that question, and in about five minutes, a relationship that was already good went to another deeper level because I'd asked the question and listened to Neil share the significant story. Mm -hmm. And Neil went on to say, he said, I believe that it was God honoring the prayers of my birth father that brought me to Christ. I believe it was the prayers of my birth father is the reason that I'm in full-time ministry today doing leadership development for uh, Power to Change, the name of crew in Canada. And I just thought, wow, wow. And so it's a question. Uh, I don't want to promise you're going to have a dramatic answer like that one every time you ask. But every time you ask, it's going to be interesting. In fact, Mark, when I speak, I ask at this point, as I share this question, everyone to stand up and uh, look around the room, spot somebody you don't know, and go stand beside them. In fact, the two of you will meet somewhere. And put your hand up if you're still looking. A minute or two later, everybody's found a partner. If there's one person left in the room, I'll be their partner. Mm -hmm. And I say, now, you're not going to have time to tell the stories. But I want you to share with each other. I'm going to give you three minutes each. Share with each other. What would you say are the three or four events that have most shaped your life? You probably mm -hmm. can kind of give the first sentence of it, the topic. Right. And I have them three minutes. Okay, now the other person answer. 
and I share with them, I know you'd like more time. I'm giving you permission at the coffee break, at lunch, breakfast tomorrow, you know, the rest of the conference to pursue hearing those stories. But I then say, I have a question for you. You took three minutes answering with each other, six minutes total. How many of you would say that you actually know more about this new friend than many friends that you've known for years? Mm -hmm. Well, every hand in the audience goes up. And then I say, what could you do with those friends you've known for years to find out and, and deepen your relationship with them? I could ask them, what are the three or four events that have most shaped their lives? Mark, I'm curious, what are the three or four events that have most shaped your life? Oh, boy. Look at that. He tells and then he asks. Uh, I feel as if Yoda is in the room. Well, uh, I, I remember I was five years old. I was playing in a sandbox in West Texas on a, a military Air Force base when my neighbor came and grabbed me out of the, the sandbox, put me in her station wagon, and drove me quickly to the uh, base airport where I kept asking her questions. Where are we going? What are we doing? Uh, is my mom and dad there? And um, she was pretty quiet. And I remember getting in the corridor of that airport, seeing my then 28-year-old pregnant mother holding my two-year-old brother. And as I ran up to her, it was very somber. And I said, where are we going? And she said, we're going to see Grandma and Grandpa. I said, well, is Daddy going? Is Daddy going to meet us? And that's when she told me the words that shaped the rest of my life. She said, no, Daddy's not going to meet us. Daddy's airplane crashed, and he's gone to heaven. Mm. And I remember the sheer and utter shock that a five-year-old can feel, and the loneliness and the abandonment and the tears of clinging to my mom. My wife, now 31 years, says that single event probably shapes more of who I am than any other event. So, yeah, I uh, I would say that was a, a big event. I think, I think uh, having five stomach surgeries in the first four years of my leadership uh, at Sandy Cove because I didn't handle the stress well, leaving me with chronic pain that left me on a ton of pain medicines that caused just me to be just so myopic and self, self-focused to the point where I, I had a procedure to help block that pain called a spinal cord stimulator, but the doctor accidentally cut a blood vessel in my spine and it, and it cut off all the feeling from my waist to my toes, which led me on this long journey where I had to resign as president and took me 18 months of recovery. And I had to go in and get off all these pain medicines. But I, since then, I've come to realize perhaps some detours are not always detours. Sometimes they're actually the path. And it was during those that time of leaving and recovery that I discovered as I started walking with leaders my purpose in the next stage of my life was to inspire growth with leaders and their brands. And I discovered it through the struggle and the pain of it. So that's two of four. But Mark, thank you. Our interaction again illustrates you and I have had a, a good relationship, but Mark, you just opened up because I asked this question and, and shared some of the deepest significant stories of your life and you know as I, I i get tears as i heard 
about that five-year-old boy. It brought immediately, wow, wow, my deepest sympathies, Mark. And, you know, I personally, I can't even imagine. I, I will never say to somebody, I know what you feel when I have never experienced that. So I can't yeah. say to you, Mark, I know what you feel, but I do care. And thanks for sharing, not only with me, but today with your audience. Well, you're welcome. And, and it's interesting you say that because the ability now for me to walk with people who have suffered loss like that is so dramatically different than just having sympathy for somebody. And being with men and women who are in chronic pain, as I have been over, uh, over nine years of my life, being able to share my story of hope and struggle with them allows a connection that just is authentic, I think. And it may not be, you know, it might not be a lifetime relationship that I'm developing, but it is, it allows, it's the struggle of our lives, the difficulty I think that God uses to allow us into someone else's space, you know, begin to ask questions about their life and their journey and their struggle, which is part of why I love sharing inspiring growth with with you and my listeners, because struggle can lead to growth. It can lead to growth. And in most cases, it, it does lead to growth. There you have it. Bob Didi turns the tables on me with great questions that really got me thinking. And this is part one of a two-part conversation. So check back in a couple of weeks for that next episode. And if you'd like a free copy of Bob's new book, now that's a great question, head over to the Inspiring Growth website at inspiringgrowth.biz. Click on free books. That's inspiringgrowth.biz. And remember, you have the power to inspire your world with these great questions and stories. All you have to do is share the Inspiring Growth podcast on your social media. Would you be willing to do that? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, today's podcast was edited by Dylan Garvin with Studio D Podcast Production. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're a leader wanting to grow your organization, reach out to me personally at the Inspiring Growth website, inspiringgrowth.biz, and let's set up a video chat. I'm Mark P. Fisher. And remember, our best connections of growth with others happen when we are kind, present, and ask good questions. I'm wondering, how would you like a free copy of Bob's new book? Now that's a great question. To get your copy, head over to inspiringgrowth.biz, click on free books. That's inspiringgrowth.biz.